0: Hi everybody and welcome to this week's edition of Telich Talks. Mike Schaefer is an ultra marathoner who just completed a 100 mile ultra marathon called the Grindstone 100 down in very hilly and mountainous Virginia. He did it last weekend and now within the span of 6 or 7 days He will run another 100 miler. It's called the Oil Creek 100. It takes place in Western Pennsylvania. A very difficult task. Two of those in the span of about seven or eight days. Micah struggled years ago with substance abuse. He drank too much. He did drugs. He sold drugs. He hit rock bottom in his life, but his life was spared. And once he got fit, once he began to run, he saw the light and he simply could not get enough of it. He has completed 10 100-mile ultramarathons in the past seven years. And I don't know if you could say that running saved his life, but you definitely could say it has enhanced it immeasurably. And on a personal note, I have run with him many times at various parks in Northeast Ohio. Favorite spot for both, I would say, is North Chagrin Reservation in Willoughby Hills. And he even paced me as I ran in the 100-mile ultramarathon called the Burning River 100 a few years ago. I hope you enjoy our chat, and please, if you can, subscribe, rate, review, and if possible, pass this along. I certainly would appreciate it. Here's ultramarathoner Mike Schaefer on Tellage Talks. Michael, how are you feeling today, couple of days after running 100?
1: Well, a lot better than I felt yesterday and the day before. (laughs) Uh, I'm feeling good, I got some sleep. Um, uh, The 100 I did was a long, grueling race that started at six o'clock at night which meant I went from six o'clock in the evening till seven o'clock almost, Sunday morning. So it was a long time without sleep and yeah. to be walking and hiking and running up and down mountains in Virginia.
0: Yeah, so it is in Virginia, it's called the Grindstone 100 and this wasn't your first time you ran that that race. Uh,
1: no, I actually, no, I did it last year and uh, said I wouldn't go back because it was so tough, but. Because of some scheduling and injuries
0: and things that happened this year, I ended up uh, signing up for it again. And as tough as it was, what what kind of uh, degree of satisfaction do you get out of accomplishing something like that? Um, because I know this is not the first time you've run 100 miles.
1: I think this was my most satisfying 100 miler given um, being injured early in the year and not having the time or ability to train like I should for it.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. So yeah, I was very, and also that I really was not having a good time during some of it and wanted to stop, but I knew I wasn't going to.
0: Well, and also you're in races like this with so much climbing involved, there's a lot of periods there were probably the doubt really can creep in and make you kind of consider, am I really, should I be doing this or. Am I going to finish this doggone thing?
1: Oh, yeah. There's there's many times where <laughs> the one thing I usually say to myself is, I paid to do this. <laughs> I'm not being forced to do this. But, yeah, and especially when you're up a climb, that may take you an hour and a half to get up to the top of the mountain. Just knowing that you're going to go back down, and then you're going to do this again, and you'll be doing it for, well, in my case, 36 hours. It's crazy. Yeah, it is. But, you know, I've never been... uh What's the word? No one's ever c- accused me of being very sane. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, okay. So you run a hundred miles this past weekend. Here we are sitting down on a Tuesday morning and you've got another hundred miler coming up. Uh, describe for those listening, what this race is like. This is in Western PA oil city oil Creek. Yeah. It's a uh, oil Creek. It's, um, Like you
1: said, it's in western PA. It's a beautiful area, uh, some nice hills, uh, not nearly the elevation as far as the mountains that I was just in, but it creates its own challenges because it's runnable, more runnable than the course I was just at. And the time limit, I believe, is 32 hours as opposed to 38 for the last one I did. But it does start in the morning, as most of these do, which makes it nice because you can get a good night's sleep the night before.
0: And then you are only dealing with running through the night once,
1: right? Y- yes. And I'll tell you what, that second night is really tough because there was literally times when I was telling myself to just lie down on the trail and get a 15-minute nap. But I knew that I would have been pushing it to finish if I would have stopped.
0: If we can go back a year or so ago, when you were running Grindstone, you did lie down on the trail and someone came by and kind of said something that as small as it may have seemed at that moment, it kind of inspired you to get up and and finish the race. You pretty much figured you were done at that time, didn't you? Oh
1: yeah. And in fact, I actually called my wife at let's see, I called Mary about eight thirty or nine o'clock Saturday evening. So which, how
0: far were you into the race at that time?
1: I wanna say I was maybe seventy-five miles into the race. Okay. But you know, it started at six PM the night before, but I was up from probably ten A.M. So I'd almost been up for i me mean, do the math, I don't yeah. know, th- however many hours. And I had literally called Mary up and said Listen, I'm too tired to go on. I need to sleep. I'm just going to lay down on the side of the trail. And she asked if I was okay with that. And I said, yeah, I'm fine with it. So she says, okay. I set my watch for about a 20-minute nap. (laughs) I laid down on the side of the trail. I think I fell asleep for about eight minutes. And uh, a runner was coming by, and he had a pacer, which is someone that helps people out later on in these distance races Mm -hmm. if you choose to use them. And all I heard was the runner say, well, at least – I'm gonna pass one person up. and you know motivation is is where you find it and that was all I needed to hear and I ended up getting up and I actually passed him up before we got to the next aid station, which was probably an hour and a half to two hours away and I believe he dropped from the race then, but I knew if I didn't get injured that I was gonna finish that race because you get to that point where you just... That was the motivation I needed, and now I knew I wasn't going to quit.
0: And it worked for you. And each race, there's something different that either motivates you or maybe in your mind you, it defeats you and you, you give up. It's a, it's a nagging little injury or what, right? Yeah, I think, I think the mental
1: aspect of of accomplishing 100 miles over a long period of time, especially when you're going to be up for 36 to 40 hours, is the hardest part to deal with. Um I just knew I I wasn't going to give up on this one because (laughs) in the middle of the race, I told myself, if I finished, and when I finished, I'm not doing any more hundreds. Oh, of course, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Because you know, you've done them, that that's what you say, and it's like... (laughs) This is the last one, right? I'm just gonna, this one. I'm going to go out on, on top, and this is the last one. Well, it was the last one until the one I have coming up in a few days.
0: <laughs> and so here we are. We're in the middle. We're getting ready. You're getting ready to go to uh, uh, western Pennsylvania, the the mecca of the oil boom back in the mid-1800s that spawns standard oil and all those types, so there's a historical uh, factor there. But it's a very tough race, and it's one of – uh, a burgeoning amount of 100 mile races that we're seeing pop up around the country. When you first started running hundreds, it wasn't as big of a deal, right? There weren't that many.
1: No, there wasn't. It, it, it's amazing now the amount of people you see doing it too, and the amount, the hard. You know, that's one of the reasons I'm I'm doing Oil Creek is that you have to have qualifiers for other races that you want to get into, and okay. the one race I was trying to get into, Western States, which is the oldest 100 miler. I signed up for Oil Creek because I got injured earlier in the year and I couldn't do the races that I wanted to do that would have been qualifiers mm. for this race. Well, after I signed up for Oil Creek, I remember that it's no longer a qualifier for Western States and that's how I ended up uh, getting into Grindstone, but you know, why um since I'm already signed up and their motto at Oil Creek is strike oil or move on, which means you can't they're not going to give you
0: any refund, you can't do a different distance, so might as well do it. Western states is, as you mentioned, you know, the first, and it's like the Mecca. It's, it's, you know, playing at Carnegie Hall or getting a chance to play at Yankee Stadium if you're a baseball player. Is that the lure for you, uh, Mike? Uh, definitely. Yeah, that's the lure for me. It's basically the Boston Marathon of hundred-mile races. And it's, uh, it, it's, 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 its history goes back to we know the whole story about Gordy Angs, Angsley. Uh, who actually, it was supposed to be a horse race, a 100 mile horse race, and one one time the competition started, he didn't have his horse or something happened. And he just, I'll just roll, run the whole thing myself, and that spawned what has become, you know, the 100 mile races, and now more and more people wanting to test themselves at at that distance. But you weren't always like that way. You, you know, years ago you you, know, you played high school sports, your life, you're living your life and what have you. But then you kind of went down a path that, that uh, uh, you kind of had to dig yourself out of, right? Tell, uh, take, take me into that because that kind of helps give birth to as to why you're such a, a, a accomplished long-distance runner.
1: Yeah, that's true, John. As I uh, told a friend of mine at our 30th high school, school reunion, I sort of zigged when everybody else zagged. <laughs> um, yeah, I was a good high school baseball player. I was actually going to go to Kent State and went to Kent State to play ball. But at a young age, in my probably 13, I probably had my first sip of alcohol and and I think seventh grade. So about the same time I tried marijuana and, you know, I didn't think much of anything back then. But, you know, those as I tell people now that I'm more involved in substance use issues and that's sort of been my life's passion these last few years is that. You don't know when you first experiment, especially at a young age, four or five people could experiment. Two of those five may never want to use drugs again. a couple of them may drink socially, casually. Mm -hmm. And like myself, uh, you may end up becoming the chances of becoming either an addict or alcoholic. Um, you know, you just take that chance. You don't know. And now that the research has found that when you start at a younger age, and also, because your brain is still developing, there's okay. there's a big chance of, think about it, eight to ten times more chance that you can end up abusing substances. And also, the genetic factor, um, I realize now that both of my grandfathers uh, were alcoholics, which, okay. you know, I used to just think, hey, grandpa's having a good day, he's, he's just laughing and drinking out of his red Solo cup. <laughs> but. You know, so those, the research now shows that, you know, having the, the family history of it and also starting at a young age really increases the odds of, of abusing substances. So yeah, I, I, I just started partying more, drinking more and it, you know, there was a time and I still can't think today when it went from like social fun to habitual,
0: okay. I, I can't figure out those lines. There was no no delineation in your mind, one specific thing or pattern or whatever?
1: No. I mean, probably the thing that I remember the most was that about a week before we were going to go to Florida for the Kent State baseball team, I found out I couldn't play because of my grades because I obviously was spending too much time drinking and partying and, Mm -hmm. and not going to school. And instead of going in the one direction where, okay, I need to buckle down, I went the opposite way. And I think that if you were going to say, you know, that was probably the time I remember most where I just then I just said kind of the heck with everything. And, you know, I still stayed in school, but I didn't do very well. But I met my future wife there and we've been married 23 years now. So One of the best moves you ever made. Yes it is.
0: But as long as you were you were still a party and you had no concept that you were kind of overdoing it, right?
1: No, and I think that's that's one of the things I have done a couple of talks and, and I was at a symposium in Cleveland doing a talk. And I always refer to it as your brain being hijacked because you don't realize it's happening. And if you would look back on like I look back on it now and it's like it seems so ridiculous that you don't realize it's happening. But some of the things I did, you would never do now. You would never think of, oh, yeah, I really want to spend the night, you know, just in a stupor on my couch and waste money. And, you know, you just, you don't think of that. So you, your brain really does get hijacked and you lose the, the capability of normal, if you will, thinking.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And, then, and then eventually, depending on the person, if it gets bad enough, that you're you're basically spending most of your time doing about the doing the drug thinking about doing the drug or recovering from doing the drug now i was you know they always say people have their people have to hit bottom yeah which may be true but everybody has their own bottom i think and that could be based on how they were brought up the environment that they live in And there's no
0: textbook you could read that says
1: this is the bottom No, I mean, I I hit my bottom. Uh, I was still always functioning, working, you know, I was holding a job, but I hit my bottom when I got in trouble uh, one time and then I knew I was done. I just, after many years of of experimenting and then habitually abusing substances and alcohol, I finally had had enough.
0: Okay. So it was a self discovery that had kind of a trickle down effect over years or periods of months and months. And then, unaware, somehow you became aware. So, something dawned on you, or, or, can you describe what you know what that was like to just kind of make the realization that this is not the way to be, way to be going? Yeah, the realization started hitting me
1: um, when I was hanging out with my friends, and I had good friends. I was, and then I had friends that weren't friends. They were just, you know, acquaintances because we we did drugs and drink together, but. I think when I was hanging out with my friends and seeing them with families and moving on in their lives and doing things, and then I'm just kind of like sleeping in a couch at my buddy's house going, what the heck am I doing? You know, especially I had nothing traumatic that ever really happened in my life, you know, as far as like reasons to sure. like be down and out. I just, yeah, it was like, okay, I don't like this anymore. Okay. And I just—it's this is so cliche, but the line "I'm sick of feeling sick" applied. Applied, yes. And so I was just sick of it. And then when the when the event happened, when I got caught trying to um, purchase some drugs, I was done. I knew right then that I just—I was done with the lifestyle and mm-hmm. I needed, I needed something more and I needed to move on. And, and I was very fortunate to have support of a few friends and family though, even though they didn't quite understand the whole substance use, alcohol thing. Um, they were supportive it, to help me out, um,
0: financially when I needed helping out
1: and to be a shoulder to lean on. Okay.
0: So you get caught, uh, trying to purchase drugs, any, uh, any, Punishment there through the legal system, or just um, uh, a one-time thing, and and try to repair your life. Um, I was very fortunate.
1: I um, I ended up with probation for a misdemeanor, attempted drug abuse, and that was I was very fortunate in that respect. I don't know what would happen now if it was the same thing because of all the because the situation now with opiates and everything else. But yeah, I was very fortunate that it was just a misdemeanor and um
0: and then you just kind of had to pick up the pieces from there
1: yep it's time to move on and and go from there
0: so where let's let's bridge the gap now mike from you hit the low the the probation all of that stuff to your life comes to the point where you realize maybe getting into fitness getting into running starting the wheels churning in that direction how did that come about
1: well, even even though I didn't wasn't able to play baseball at Kent anymore, I still played ball in the... Uh, Lake County used to have a good Lake County A-ball. Okay. And that was a very good Sandlot League back then. And then I played softball, stuff like that. So I was always active, and I always kept active. But I think the main thing is I finally gave up my last addiction, which was cigarette smoking, oh. in uh, 2007. And I really needed something to do. And uh, my stepson, Joe, got me into running. So I started running a little bit in 2007. Uh, literally, the first time I tried to run, I think I went 100 yards. I couldn't run anymore, my, everything hurt. And I talked to a, a friend of mine who was a good runner. And he told me just to keep going out there and see how the body adjusts because it's been years since I ran. And By the end of that year, by the end of the summer, I think I was able to run almost three miles at once. And so the next, the following year in the spring of 2008, I did my first 5K and I just, I really just started liking the way I felt from running. And um, I started doing some more research on it and realized that running was a good mental health stimulus, if you will. Okay. So I, and uh, there's also a little bit of history with myself with depression, especially after I quit smoking
0: because that was like my last addiction. Okay. Last coping mechanism, if you will.
1: Right. Now you have to, now you have to cope with life on its own terms okay. and that that's pretty tough to do. So you build these different coping skills and running was probably my biggest. So I I started running, I did a 5K in 2007. I built up and started training to do my first marathon, which was Cleveland in 2009. And I was at, I think it was Lake County, I was doing a half marathon there, and I met a couple people from the vertical runner in Hudson. And they started talking about trail running, which I never, I just remember when I would run the, uh, multi-purpose at Norse or grin every now and then and maybe now and then I might run on the bridal trail, but I'd see these people coming up from the woods running. I'm like, what are these people doing in these the woods? Whack jobs. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what are these nuts doing here? And, uh, little did I know, but so I thought, well, you know, I love the woods. I've spent a lot, my whole life outdoors. So I thought, well, that's kind of natural. I love the woods. I love running, you know, let's, let's see what happens. So I, I started trail running. Um, and I fell in love with it I just love being in nature Um, I use it more as a relaxation thing because you can get really caught up especially if you're running roads and trying to train to get into the Boston Marathon or run a fast marathon you really can get caught up in just training instead of like the benefits of relaxing and that just enjoying the environment that you're in exactly so yeah I started running trails and um, all of a sudden, someone mentioned the word ultra marathons, and I was like, "Ultra? Hmm. What's that?" And it's basically what they consider an ultra marathon is anything over the traditional 26.2 marathon yeah. distance. And, and there's a little bit of debate, but most people consider uh, ultra marathon. They usually start at the uh, 50k, which is 31 miles. Yes. And so I, I did my first 50k, which was it. It's called the Youngstown Ultra Trail Classic, Yotzee. That was in 2011. And then that was just, and, and this may be something to do with the way my brain is wired with me going overboard with substances and alcohol is that I just loved the distance. And all of a sudden I just wanted to run further. And when I finished that first 50K, I started looking into 50 milers. I was gonna turn 50 in August of 2012, or I was gonna turn 51, rather. Okay. And I wanted to run a 50 miler while I was was 50. And I posted that on Facebook, and like all good ultra running friends, someone said, well, you better do a 100 miler too, because you're not gonna do a 100 miler when you're 100. (laughs) That's true. And you know, that just sounded like that made
0: perfectly good sense to me. Yeah.
1: And I, so I signed up for my first one, which was Burning River
0: 2012. So you jump, you leapfrog from 50k straight to 100 miles, right? Or, oh no, I'm sorry. I did. Um, I did do the. You, you did do a 50 miler. Mohican
1: 50 miler okay. okay. that spring. Okay. But then I, I jumped ahead and did the 100. Uh, Burning River 100 was my first. My own backyard. Well, you know, you yep. finished it that year. Yep. Not yeah. too. We finished pretty close to the same amount of time. and I know we were both feeling great at the end of that one, (laughs) (laughs) but, uh, yeah. And, and, uh, a lot of people do hundred milers and it's kind of like a one and done kind of thing. They just wanted to try it. And, but like I said, that whatever, that little gene in my brain or whatever, that whatever's convincing me, it wasn't enough. So I think. Well, no, I'm sure now um, grindstone. So my first 100 miler was 2012 Burning River and the grindstone I just did this past weekend was the, I
0: think it was the 14th or 13th I attempted and the 10th that I finished. Okay, so you've 13 in seven years, you've attempted seven finishes. And that's, I think what people have to understand is that you don't just sign up for 100 miles and finish 100 miles. No, it, it, no. But no, that was that was 10 finishes, not seven. I'm sorry. 10 <laughs> fin- you're right. 10 finishes, 13 attempts, 10 finishes in seven years. Yes. So no, it's, it's, it's something that you really have to like,
1: and really want to accomplish to finish it. Because as you know, there are times in the race when you hate life, you're questioning your sanity, You swear you're never gonna do this again. And then when you finish, you think about, if I would have just done this a little different, I could finish faster
0: next time. (laughs) And you continue to like pursue those goals. Yes,
1: and it keeps me, I think also to to have a goal to work for, um, not only in running, but just in whether you're in recovery, Or just in life itself it keeps you motivated yeah so it keeps you I have to train this was probably the least trained I've ever been for a hundred miler and you still you finished it I still finished it but I still have to train so it keeps you out there it keeps you doing the things uh, the running aspect of it Um, I've slacked off a bit on the stretching and the yoga and the meditation but all that helps with my mental state it's a part of my life now I use it Um, as much as possible just for coping like you said earlier for one of my coping skills you know and and one thing I always say is like the less you feel like doing something like say going out for that run that you're supposed to go for but it's it's, I don't know maybe just not in the mood or the weather's really crappy the less you feel like doing it the more important is that you get it done that day yeah. And you usually feel good about it. I mean, after I could have a crap. Have you ever
0: gone out for a run where you, you know, you, you say, I'm going to just run five, 10 miles, but you just, you, 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 your sense of feeling so good overtakes you. And next thing you know, you're running much further and feeling much better because you did it.
1: Yes, it happens. I don't, I don't get necessarily the runner's high as much as people say, but yeah, there's definitely times where it's like, I'm just, I don't really feel like running. I'm going to go out and do two miles. And I won't really, if I'm just going out and doing a run like that, I won't necessarily pay attention to my watch and see how far I've gone. Then all of a sudden I look down and I've gone seven miles. And it's like, well, I feel good. I have time. Let's just let's just keep doing it. So you, you do it and you enjoy it. And it really just kind of, like I was saying before, you could have a bad day at work. You go out and get some miles in and you, you literally forget about the day at work.
0: Yeah, i think a lot of people just uh, maybe they just don't know that's available or or they think it's so far out of their reach and and that could even be for someone getting out and walking a mile because people are in various stages of um, not being in great shape being some people are severely obese but yet you know someone's marathon could be someone else's just walk around the block and all that you need is that. That impetus to get you, like you were when you were kind of rock bottom, you had that impetus to uh, to see that all right, uh, I give these cigarettes up and see what happens with you know getting out and running a little bit, see what happens with your life.
1: Oh yeah, it was, and definitely, and I and I'm a, you know people always look at me a little bit. Some runners that haven't been running much or maybe they just can't because of some of the things you just said, and they'll be like, well I know it's nothing to you, but I just did my first 5K. And that's, that's not true. It's huge. I mean, you know, just getting up and doing it. But I did forget one thing when I did give up cigarettes. Yeah. Um, I used the money that I spent on smoking to get season tickets to the cabs. Oh,
0: okay.
1: <laughs> so that was, so, so Mary and I had uh, the season tickets for the, the first LeBron years and the, the end of the LeBron era well recently. So that was my reward. And I think that's, that's very key, too, is to allow
0: yourself some rewards for what you're doing. And not to necessarily don't just be that hamster on on the tre- on the you know running making the wheel spin and not getting some joy out of your life exactly you're not you know I I, I don't have sponsors I'm not getting paid to do
1: this so yes there are times when you don't want to do it but it's something that I choose to do in my free time and I know um you're very familiar with Pam Rickard yeah and I, I always liked what she always said is that. I believe, um, I hope I don't misquote you, Pam, I think it was, we don't have to do this, we get to do this. We get to do it, yes. And and that is something that I try to keep in the back of my mind because, you know, as cliche as it sounds, you'll see someone who's in a wheelchair that wishes they would be able to suffer at a marathon or a race, but they can't even run because they're in a wheelchair. So yeah, I get to do this and I'm very fortunate um, that You know, I I sometimes because of the things I did in my past, I wonder why, you know, I'm still here. But, you know, so maybe I'm still here just to help others and and let people know that you can accomplish things and and there is possibilities. And that was one of the reasons, um, you know, after working in manufacturing for many years, as I got older, I sort of decided I want to kind of do something more along the lines of what I'm familiar with. Okay. And I thought, you know what, um, I was familiar with with running and with substance use, mental health issues. Um, so I was a volunteer ambassador for um, RunWell, which is mm-hmm. uh, founded by Linda Quirk, a fantastic organization. I was with them for about three or four years. And then um, I did a little bit with the Heron Project, which is um, what
0: Pam's, Pam's doing with.
1: Yep. And then I, uh, I had my own business for a couple of years, and then I started working um, a little bit with people and trying to it was called active recovery consulting and And basically, well, I had I came up with the name for the acronym Arc because I went to brush. That's and, right. then, and And then that's also what I believe that not only should you be active as far as doing active things, you have to be the most active person in your own recovery. because if you don't
0: if you don't take the lead in your own recovery, you assume people are looking out for you, but they're not as much as you would as you, you would hope, perhaps?
1: Yeah, and I, and I think because of the opiate uh, issues going on now, there's so many people in recovery or trying to get help that they do get lost in the shuffle a little bit. Okay. So you have to advocate for yourself. Um, you have to be the one to figure out some coping skills, what you can do to help yourself while you're still getting help from organizations and, and, and other facilities. So I've worked at a, I worked at a couple of places, um, that were recovery houses. And then recently in about the last year and a half, I end up working at a behavioral health hospital in Highland Hills. And that's what I've been doing for about a year and a half. Um, I love it there. It's trying at times like any jobs, sure. but I, I like working with people. We have basically, um, we deal with a wing that's uh, a lot of substance use issues, one that's um, severe mental health psychosis issues, and another one that's um, mental health issues. So I started working there and, and since it's um, I'm on a nursing team there, I only work three days a week. It's 12 and a half hour shifts, but it's three days a week, but it's actually of giving me the chance to go back to school, and I'm going to go back to school now, and, and I'd like to uh, pursue a nursing degree. So I can still help people. I can still do this. Um, work. Uh, it's cut into my running a bit, because when you work those long, I'm basically, on a day I work, I'm up at 4.30, 4.45, and I'm home about 7 at night. So there's no training going on those three days. Unless
0: you and put uh, your head li- lamp on and run the trails. There's yeah. not going to be much going on. No,
1: nope, this is true. And then I have to uh, school a couple days a week. So it's, it's busy, but I think I like to keep myself busy. And I wasn't really going to do it, the nursing part of it, because I thought, well, you know, 58, I'm a little too old to do it. But I have had nothing but support from everybody I've mentioned it to. And you know. 58 young nowadays. It is. 58
0: is the new 45. Let's say. Yeah, uh, sounds good. I just good. made up that number, yeah. but it sounds great. Works to for me. 45. <laughs> yeah. It sounds great. Well, good luck to you as you move forward with the running. Always uh, pleasure to join to uh, share some runs with you. Sometimes my four-legged daughter Scarlett. Oh and, yeah. Uh, we have good times and and uh, kick that Oil Creek uh, 100. Uh, hit hit that one out of the out of the park. Good luck.
1: I don't know if I hit it out of the park or not, but as long as I keep it in play and finish up, I have 32 hours, John. Thank you much, and I look forward to
0: our next run together. You bet, bud. Thanks. You're welcome. Thanks very much, Mike, for the nice chat, and all the best as you run in the Oil Creek 100 in western Pennsylvania. And also on our next time we see you on this podcast, I will update you as to how Mike fared in that race and continued great running, my friend. All the best to you. And thanks to you for listening. We'll see you the next time on Telich Talks.